Welcome to the King's Weekly Podcast. I am Nick Agar Johnson, Editor-in-Chief of No Ceilings NBA, Staff Writer for No Ceilings NBA, and your co-host for this podcast. And I'm here today, of course, with my other co-host, uh, the founder and curator of the Basketball Intelligence newsletter, available at basketballintelligence.net, Ray LeBeau. Good morning there, Ray. Good morning, Nick. Glad to be doing this show today. And welcome, everybody. Um, one thing that uh, sort of strikes me is in previous shows, we've been saying with this nasty nine schedule coming up very soon, nine games in a row against eight, almost almost eight tier one teams plus the Spurs, um, that it was really important for the Kings to make hay in the games leading up to that. Well, the road trip has been great. You know, five wins in six games, et cetera. They followed our advice. Yeah, I mean, I believe the first episode where we brought that up was two weeks ago. And at the time, the Kings were 23 and 18, which, you know, was exactly where they were last season at the same point. But they got there in a very different way. And, you know, the sort of few games leading up to that were some of the most brutal losses that not only the Kings have had this season, but that any NBA team has had this season. I mean, blowing that 22 point lead to the Suns, as we talked about at more length than I think anybody would have liked to think about or discuss that We're game. We 1,244 minutes talking about it. There you go. I, I, I would certainly have not liked to spend that many, but that's a different problem. Um, no, I mean, this, you know, since then, the Kings have gone six and one. And, you know, as you mentioned, and as we will get into during the recap and preview portion, that nasty nine set is coming up this week. So, you know, the first of those games, again, as we'll get to later on, will be on Friday against the Denver Nuggets. But, you know, ultimately, this is a situation where if the Kings had, you know, gone 500 or worse, say, during this sort of stretch leading up, then, you know, that's at the point where the Kings are sort of in that morass at around, you know, Lakers at nine or one game over 500 Utah 10 is one game under 500. If the Kings head into this upcoming stretch with, you know, around a 500 record that could spell that could have rather because, you know, it's hypothetical at this point, but that could have spelled serious trouble for the playoff hopes. And instead, you know, they're 29 and 19 right now as we're recording this early on Monday morning and they're in position to, still be in relatively comfortable playoff position even after the nasty nine assuming that you know they go either 500 or a little bit under 500 i think is more likely than over 500 the cushion that they've built up over the last couple of weeks is i mean it'd be vital heading into the all-star break anyway but particularly important for this king squad given the absolutely brutal schedule that they have ahead they did what they had to do yeah, and let's start off talking about what they had to do and doing what they had to do with Monday night's game, last Monday's game against the Memphis Grizzlies. And the Kings started this game off rough. The Grizzlies had a 33-18 first quarter, and the Kings looked like they just couldn't buy a basket. And that sort of changed over the remaining three quarters. This was... Honestly, ugly game would be putting it a bit kindly, but ultimately this was a game where the Kings were massively in the hole and they 
pretty quickly turned it around with a very solid second quarter and then did enough in the second half to, you know, end up pushing the lead to almost double digits before the end. But man, I mean, this was just a very ugly game for both teams outside of really one player who had a fantastic night, which I'm sure we'll get into in a moment. But, you know, this was a game that could have been a bit of a trap for the Kings against a Memphis Grizzlies team that in their last game, they had 13 players on the injury report. I mean, we've talked about the sort of hospital ward situation for the Grizzlies before, but that's been even more apparent this week than ever before, which is saying something given what this Grizzlies team has looked like. But, you know, ultimately the Kings needed to pull out this win again, you know, part of the prep for the nasty nine. And despite it being a very ugly game for the most part, the Kings ultimately were able to turn it to their advantage. It's remarkable what the Grizzlies do against good teams when they are playing essentially G league players um, against them. And it's not just the Kings. It's like the, it's last game with 13 um, players missing and basically, um, you know, playing a G league lineup. Wow. How, How do they do it? Yeah. I mean, and this wasn't a great game from Jaron Jackson jr. Either. I mean, he had 22 points, but it took him 18 shots to get there. And, a lot of his points actually came at the free throw line, which, you know, is one thing, but only three rebounds for him. Really, it was just Xavier Tillman had a great game, um, and they just had contributions from all eight of the players that were able to suit up in this one, which, you know, again, given what the last few weeks have looked like is a strong point for the Grizzlies. Now, I did mention that one player had a particularly spectacular game, and so, you know, to circle back to that, Demonis Sabonis set his career high with 26 rebounds. And, you know, it's funny, the Grizzlies actually just traded uh, Steven Adams for Victor Oladipo in picks. But, you know, you and I have talked about the sort of remarkable nature of Steven Adams's game uh, recently. But, you know, certainly he's someone who would have kept Demonis Sabonis from getting 26 rebounds. But, I mean, 26 boards for Demos, 10 of 11 shooting. I mean, just spectacularly efficient, you know, absolute menace around the glass on both ends and Grizzlies couldn't handle him in the paint. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox had a solid night, but most of the rest of the Kings ranged from decent to cold. I mean, Malik Monk and Harrison Barnes combined uh, six for 21 shooting and Malik had three points off the bench, which is not something you expect to see from Malik Monk very often. I mean, you kind of do just in the sense that Malik is so, so his game sort of varies so wildly from night to night that it's not entirely out of the question to see him put up sort of a stinker like he did in this one. But ultimately the Kings had just enough surrounding Domas to, you know, pull out this win. And again, it was a game that started off very poorly and could have continued to go a whole lot worse. It'd been one of those many games that we've talked about of, how did the Kings lose when the other team was missing like the entirety of their starting lineup? You know, thankfully that ended up not being the story in this one, but it certainly looked like it could have been early on. Domas, man, you know, I've referred to him and I'm not the only person that has over the weeks as the rock and he is the rock, the foundation. Um, But, you know, his play seemed to be getting better and better, which, wow. I mean, it was already so good. And I think the rock might be, the rock in terms of dependability, but it also like talks about like when you were talking about his rebounding, et cetera, but maybe I should find a, a different word because it, 
sort of takes you away from the other things that he does so well, right? Um, his passing, the dribble handoffs, um, you know, orchestrating the offense, um, et cetera. Uh, yes, he's a great inside player. He's a great rebounder. But, you know, what else he adds to the team um, is just, it's remarkable. And, and to me, he, he's, he's the rock, but he's also now kind of the rock plus. He's getting better. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying in the sense of, you know, there's one thing for him to sort of be solid and dependable every night. It's another thing for, oh, actually, like, it's not just that he's solid and dependable. It's that he raises the floor for everybody else so much that, you know, it it makes the whole situation work better, even if, you know, there's a difference between, like, Kevin Durant solidly getting you eight points every quarter, right, versus, you know, orchestrating the entirety of the offense, essentially. So the next game for the Kings was the one sort of dark spot in the week, the one loss in a three and one week, which again, very necessary for the Kings to have that kind of week, given what they have coming up. But, you know, ultimately they did lose this one to the Miami heat in Miami, one fifteen, one Oh six. And I mean, really the, the headline for me in, in this one is the, Kings three-point shooting. I mean, uh-huh. just, it was 12 for 40, you know, 30% from three doesn't really do it justice because Keegan Murray went seven for 11, had a fantastic night. The Kings completely wasted it, but that's a different story. I mean, you know, Devonis Sabonis also had a fantastic night and he hit the one three-pointer that he took. So outside of Keegan Murray and Devonis Sabonis, that would be a lovely four for 28 from the other three-point shooters. Harrison Barnes, 0 for 6. De'Aaron Fox, 1 for 8. Malik Monk, 0 for 4. Just the Kings could not buy a basket from the three-point line. And on the other, you know, on the other side, Miami went 13 of 28, which, you know, again, a lot of that was Josh Richardson going 6 for 10 off the bench. But, you know, I mean, you've talked about quite a bit, the sort of three-point defense and the, you know, difference between the three-point line often being the difference in these games. This was a game where it's hard to think of a clearer example than this game for the three-point math telling the story of the final outcome. So just because I had been talking about that so much didn't mean that they had to go out and prove it. Um, <laughs> it's like Maybe I should keep these things to myself. But, you know, one for 18, Fox, Monk, and Barnes. Um significantly not completely but significantly because they were closely defended and then the heat's numbers because they weren't closely defended uncontested at some point it will be learned that uh, there is a huge gap in success rate between contested threes and uncontested threes um, and i understand you have to choose your poison in some sense because you know the, be- the better you can test them but you know there's such a thing as recovering and contesting. Um, so it was interesting to hear Coach Brown after the game talking about that in the second, that his his thinking about what happened was in the second half, the Kings who are noted for their deflection causing, uh, had three deflections in the second half and on 50-50 balls were zero for six in terms of recoveries. That's what he blamed the game on. And I think that's a fairly reasonable thing. The other thing I would say is Miami is starting to play better now. Yeah. Yeah. After a tough, tough losing streak. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it is, yes, you know, they caught Miami at sort of the wrong time, right? You know, they if they if it had been, you know, a couple weeks earlier when they were going through that absolutely brutal seven-game losing streak, you know, sure, maybe it's, you know, slightly slightly less anticipated, right? But, I mean, you know, this is a Miami Heat team with a ton of depth, with shooting from, you know, pretty much, from not everywhere on the roster, but, you know, pretty much across the roster, right? And ultimately you know again this was the kind of game that you know sure the three point the three point math is a huge part of it that was you know the biggest difference maker but you know it's not just that i mean De'Aaron fox yeah one of eight from three point line but he was also only three of eight inside the arc right i mean you know when you get 13 points on 16 shots from De'Aaron fox it's gonna require a lot to overcome that and you know, again, if Keegan Murray hadn't had the night that he'd had, this game would have looked even uglier. So, you know, that's at least a plus from the Kings perspective of, you know, wow, this, you know, not quite Pelicans lost territory, right? But, you know, could have been a really, really bad story if Keegan had not had the night he had. But yeah, I mean, other than Keegan and Demonis, this was a rough game from pretty much, oh, Kevin Herter was solid. But, you know, other than other than those three, it was a very rough night for the Kings. And, you know, it's telling that the sort of bench minutes lately have very often, if not exclusively, gone to the other team. And this game was yet another occurrence of that. And it's good to see, even in a game like that, you know, Herder playing well, because that either yeah. enhances his trade value or shows just how... Um, reliant the Kings need to be on him playing like he has played previously before the um, extended slump of the, uh, of the season. Yeah. I mean, he's a streaky player, you know, he's proven that over time. And I think, you know, the early part of this season was, you know, a lot of the debate that you and I were having, right. Is okay. How long does this have to go before it, you know, stops being just a cold streak and starts being a concerning trend. And, you know, I think it went just long enough to be a concerning trend, but not long enough that it's still going. So, you know, there's that element of it as well. But yeah, the offense does look very different when Kevin Herter is involved and doing his best work. And, you know, this is, again, this was a game that could have been a lot uglier than it ended up being. And, you know, it looks a little bit prettier because the Kings got it within double digits by the end, but could have been a whole lot worse. So in the end, Indiana. So the Kings have played the Pacers quite a few times over the past few weeks, as we've covered in previous episodes with Scott Agnes and Tony East. But for this game, the Pacers <laughs> um, had two and a half starters rather than the one starter that they had last time. And funnily enough, the one starter that they had last time was the was the guy who missed this one in Miles Turner. But Tyrese Halliburton coming back from his injury played off the bench, you know, had a solid night, but not the sort of spectacular night that Kings and Pacers fans both have come to expect from Tyrese Halliburton. Um, this game, you know, was very telling of very what I was strongly oh. to, to his minute restriction. Once he hit it, he didn't play again afterward, regardless of what was going on in the game. Yeah. And, you know, it was a game that, in theory, the Pacers could have, you know, found a way to pull out late, but not having not having Halliburton available is certainly a factor in, you know, them not ending up taking this one. 
this was sort of an interesting game in terms of the sort of inconsistency that I talked about with Malik Monk. I mean, you know, he goes from three points earlier in the week and, you know, a not great game against Miami to 23 points on 14 shots in this one, six assists, you know, one behind Sabonis for the team lead in the game, five rebounds as well. I mean, it's funny how much of the story of the Kings bench is driven by Malik Monk. I mean, Trey Lyles is sort of the other big factor and certainly... You know, a couple weeks ago when the Kings were really struggling, the fact that Trey Lyles had an over week scoring wise was, you know, a pretty big factor. So, you know, him having a solid game is obviously very important for the Kings. But, you know, as we've talked about time and time again, the Kings ability to generate downhill pressure towards the rim is almost entirely driven by Darren Fox and Malik Monk. And, you know, Fox has had some struggles in the past month or so, as we've also talked about, but ultimately Malik Monk is a whole lot of a weather vane for sort of where things go for the Kings. And this was one of those games where, you know, again, the previous game against the Pacers, the story was how the Pacers bench just absolutely destroyed the Kings bench. And this game was not quite the same story. I mean, the Pacers had a lot of bench contributions. A lot of that was Tyrese Halberton coming off the bench rather than starting as he usually would. Right. But you know, the Kings bench played pretty even against the Pacers bench, which given how they got destroyed in the last game against the Pacers is a pretty positive story in my mind. Kings did what they had to do. That's what that's what you have to do against teams that are hurting and missing players, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you don't you sometimes see teams just let up against that situation, but the situation dictate that, oh, we're playing an easy team tonight because they're missing half their players. Um, but it, to, to do what you need to do and play to, as if you're playing against a team at full strength is really important. Well, it's funny because, you know, something that we've talked about before as well is how the Kings have been quite solid event against over 500 teams this season. And a lot of their struggles have been in, you know, some of the games that we thought they should win, right? I mean, the obvious example being that Charlotte game that we've talked about time and time again, because it was very telling of, you know, a terrible team missing four starters and still managing to take it to the Kings. And this Pacers game is kind of a weird mix between those two in that the Pacers are a good above 500 playoff caliber team, but also a team that was walking in wounded and, you know, the Kings sort of taking, taking advantage is the wrong way of putting it, but, you know, being able to have a much better outing this time against a team that, actually had more of the starting lineup back than they had in the previous one. You know, again, it's the kind of game that, especially given the stretch that they have coming up, it's even more imperative that the Kings were able to take that one. And, you know, credit to them. They had a much better outing than they had the previous outing against the Pacers. So the next game was a back-to-back. So the second game of back-to-back against the Chicago Bulls. And it's funny how, you know... (laughs) all of a sudden the Kings are actually winning both games with back-to-backs, which is stunning given how the season started on that front. But, you know, again, this was a game that almost in a way, a reverse of the Memphis game in that this was a pretty solid basketball game. This was not a hideous affair like the Memphis game, but also this was a game where the Kings jumped out to a massive lead, you know, at halftime rather than being down dramatically after the first quarter. And they, 
almost let the lead slip through their fingers. And this is the kind of thing that lead to 30 in the, in the third quarter to 82. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is, I think we talked about this last week, but you know, it's not like the experience of being a Kings fan means that you have any sort of comfort with the team having a large lead because of, you know, the decade and a half where the Kings would blow those leads regularly. And, Last year and a half has been better, but the memory of the Phoenix game sort of haunts the back of my mind when, you know, the Kings let leads like this slip away. Like I had the same thoughts running through my head in the Dallas game where, you know, the Mavericks got it, you know, within a few points late after the Kings had a double digit lead, you know, in the final few minutes. It was like, oh no, here we go again. Is it going to happen again? Are they going to, you know, are they going to repeat the same story? But thankfully not. Um, And I mean, Darren Fox obviously had a massive night and, you know, him going off for 41 after the struggles that he's had recently. I mean, you know, struggles is strong, right? He's still De'Aaron Fox. He's still, you know, putting up 20-point games quite a lot of the time. But, you know, it's definitely seemed like something has been off the past month or so. And, you know, again, I don't want to speculate about injury because I have no idea about that. I don't have access to any of the medical records. But, certainly just purely based on you know the way he's been playing his you know relative reluctance to try and get downhill this game was the exception to that you know very strongly the exception to that but yeah i mean it's been you know relatively down to his performance the first couple months of the season and so him having a 41 point breakout out like this is i think very important for him especially given the stretch the kings have coming up you know, I think your point is is really good. It's natural to speculate as to wait a minute, the level that he's playing at—that's not De'Aaron Fox. It is now, um, but for when he was playing, and it's like—is there some sort of injury that isn't being talked about, or was there some sort of injury was talked about? Because he's no easier to guard than he ever was. No one can defend him really. Um, probably no player in the league can defend him, and yet not playing at the level that we're used to seeing him play at when that hasn't changed, something has to account for it. It's also that, you know, again, this is, this is more subjective than objective, but it feels like a lot of his shots have been specifically fallen short, but it's not just that he's missing, but they've, they've been coming short, which to me, you know, that suggests, again, I don't know the injury report. I don't know anything along those lines, but certainly would suggest, you know, either a shoulder or a wrist thing being potentially the issue that he doesn't have as much power on his shot as he's used to. And again, I don't know the injury report. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm speculating here, but that kind of speculation is almost brought on by the fact that it's pretty clear that something is up. And, you know, this game being the exception to that is fantastic, but, you know, hopefully this is a situation where, the all-star break will give him a chance to get some rest and hopefully come back stronger for the remaining part of the season. Upcoming. Yes. So the Kings have four games in the week ahead. And as we've teased and mentioned repeatedly, the start of the nasty nine is this week. So the first of those games will be on Friday against the Denver Nuggets, but let's start where the week begins Um, and, you know, start with tonight's game against the Cavaliers and you know the Cavs are in a very interesting spot with Ed Mobley and Darius Garland finally returning from the injuries that have kept them out for a significant portion of the season but 
this is, you know, really the only reason that the Nasty 9 is not the Nasty 11 is because of who the Kings are playing on Wednesday, which you know we'll get into. But this is a very tough Cleveland team that, you know, might be struggling a bit with sort of figuring out where the pieces fall now that two of their stars are back from injury. But even still, this is not a team that anybody can afford to mess with. Yeah, and they played so well with those stars out. Now that those two stars are back, are they going to be even better? What you know, what what what's going on? And I guess um, Jared Allen is he questionable for tonight? Jared Allen is questionable for tonight. Yeah, so okay, last I saw. but but you know, I mean, yes, and he's the kind of player that can really hurt the Kings. But with the two starters, two stars back, what a lineup and what a bench! I was looking at the bench, and again, depending on who's available, etc. You've got Levert. Neon, Okoro, Merrill, um, possibly Wade. It's the bench is so deep and the team is so deep that Craig Porter, who was playing great when um, need when they needed him with starters out last, he's not getting even into the game. Much less, how much are they going to play him? They're playing him zero, and it's like, wait a minute. So Craig Porter doesn't even get any burn at all. How deep is this team? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're up there with, you know, the deepest teams of the league. And it's funny that we were just talking about the Kings bench when that's been, you know, up and down, I think would be fair to describe the Kings bench performance this season. And so it'll be, again, you know, a game where the Kings will need to at least play the bench close, at least play the Cavaliers bench close, because I don't think the odds of them outplaying the Cavaliers bench is that great given just how deep the team runs. But if they can keep it close and Darius Garland is not fully back and Evan Mobley is not fully back, you know, maybe the starting lineup for the Kings can push the lead out just enough for the bench, not to, you know, give it away in those minutes, but they're a very deep team and they were a deep team even before they brought all those guys back. So, um, the Pistons are playing better. Of course, how could they not? Um, Hard and, not to. Um, but Cade is back. And one of the things that, um, to me, has been a big difference, there are multiple things that are you could say are the reason. One of them is Ivy. And yes. it's not to me that he was not playing well. It's like strange coaching decision. And I'm sure there's stuff there that we don't know uh, about not using him um, to, to the extent that one would think they should. And now that they are, it's made a big difference. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, never particularly understood the Jaden Ivy situation. And, you know, as you said, there's certainly a lot going on behind closed doors that we are not privy to, but to me, it seemed like Jaden Ivy was exactly the player that this team should have been attempting to maximize, especially when Kate Cunningham was missing time. But, you know, the fact that he's got a more regular sort of, role and place in the rotation I think is very encouraging because he's he's a good player and you know he's still very early in his developmental curve and I'm certainly someone who's very much believed in him you know since the since the draft process since since his freshman year rather than since his sophomore year when he ended up coming out and declaring for the draft but yeah I mean you know as you mentioned three and seven over your last 10 games is not fantastic but sure beats three and 36 right so you know, again, this Pistons team is, I don't think, anywhere near as bad as their record has shown. And I think that's been true all season. But 
I think that's been particularly true over the last 10 games where, you know, again, a 300 winning percentage is nothing to write home about, but, you know, it's a lot stronger than um, than they previously thought it would be. So I guess that translates into don't take them lightly. Yes. All right. And now we get into the start of the Dasty Nine that we've been teasing and worried about for the last few weeks. So let's just get it out of the way. And the first of those games is thankfully a home game. The Kings have two out of four at home this week. So the Pistons game on Wednesday and then the Denver Nuggets on Friday, February the 9th. And I mean, there's not much more that can be said about the Denver Nuggets other than, you know, this is a championship team that is, you know, once again among the elite of the Western Conference. And, you know, the Kings play the Nuggets twice in this nasty nine stretch. And again, it's not a team that you want to show up unprepared for. And it's the kind of thing where every game of cushion that the Kings have banked in, you know, the last few weeks, any win, you know, any of the two games upcoming that the Kings can win. I mean, the Cavs essentially would be in the nasty nine if the, you know, Monday and Wednesday games were flipped. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's the kind of stretch that could sink a season if the Kings aren't careful. And thankfully they have the sort of padding going in that we weren't sure that they would have when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago and the Kings were 23 and 18, but it's a tough stretch. It's, you know, that's underselling it by a large margin, but Ultimately, when you're kicking off that kind of stretch with a game against the, the Nuggets, it's good that it's home game, right? You know, that's that's at least a positive. But man, it's just the start of a very tough haul for the Kings. And hopefully they're not in a very different possession at the end of the stretch than they are now. But they very much could be given what that schedule looks like. The Nuggets had an interesting use of their players uh, in their last game where um the three they they really just played three bench players who all did well uh watson brown and reggie jackson um and uh they played significant minutes and besides the joker and uh murray the other starters did not play a lot of minutes um one story that i read in the denver press talked about gee looks like they're starting to use their playoff lineup um i think that might be overstating it uh, based on a one-off but i don't know um, it's, but it's interesting, um, the dynamic that they, they used in, in their, in their last game. And, and yeah, I mean, this is obviously the nasty nine is nasty and you're going to read off the entire thing when we get through with pre previewing this week. Um, but, um, anytime you're up against the Joker, you're in for trouble, but it's not just the Joker. They were, they're the defending champs for a reason. They've got a very, very solid team, obviously. And it doesn't get better from there because the last game to close out the week is in Oklahoma City against the Thunder, who are currently tied atop the Western Conference. And it's funny because the best win that the Kings had during the stretch that De'Aaron Fox was out earlier this season was their game against OKC. I mean, holding this Thunder team to 98 points is special whenever you can do it and even more special when you're missing your best player. So, you know, again, it's... It's not like any of these games are, you know, lost causes. I mean, the Kings are up there with the elite of the Western Conference. You know, they might not be quite on the same level as Denver, but they're a seed behind them. You know, they might not be quite on the same level as OKC, but they've beaten them, right? It's, you know, we talk about any team can beat any team on any given night. And usually that's referring to 
the Charlotte Hornets can beat the Kings when they're missing four starters, you know, in the middle of a, on the second game of back-to-back where the previous night was in Denver. But the flip side of that is, you know, the Kings could, could go, you know, six and three over this nine game stretch. And, you know, then a lot of this consternation will seem, you know, sort of unfounded, but you know, it's not like any of these games are unwinnable. It's just the stretch of them all in a row is absolutely hideous. And you mentioned before that I was going to read them off. So here we go. So starting with Friday's game against Denver, the Kings are so at home against the Nuggets, then on the road at OKC, at Phoenix on Tuesday the 13th, at Denver on the second night of the back-to-back on Wednesday the 14th, then off for All-Star break, then the one light game in the stretch, uh, Thursday the 22nd against the San Antonio Spurs. That's a home game. Then Sunday the 25th at Los Angeles against the Clippers. The next night, uh, home against the Miami Heat. Then at the Nuggets again in Denver on Wednesday the 28th. And at the Timberwolves on Friday, March the 1st. So a few comments. I think you had said two games against the Nuggets. Isn't it three? It's three. No, you're right. I, I had gotten that math wrong which yeah. you know certainly makes things even worse for the kings which is not what they needed for that particular and you got too confused with three but that's okay we won't, wow okay we fine to, we don't need to go into that so uh on okc um they i was looking at their projected lineup um against utah their next game coming up and um they got a multiple players with the gtd um designation None of uh, SGA or um, Holmgren or Giddy or Dort, but uh, Mann and Wallace and Joe and Jalen Williams all have a GTD um, designation. Who knows? I mean, that, that might all be gone by the time the, um, they play the Kings. Um, you had mentioned about any team can beat any team. I'm thinking of just not that long ago, and I think it was on consecutive nights, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, didn't Detroit beat OKC and um, San Antonio beat um, Minnesota? Am, am I right or wrong about that? Something along those lines. Uh, well, definitely Detroit did beat OKC on January 28th. I don't know if the Spurs game was the same night. Um, no, no. I think it was close in, close in time, though. Uh, yeah, the Spurs beat the Minnesota Timberwolves on the 27th, and the Pistons beat the Thunder on the 28th. So, so yeah, there you, there you go. go, right? Anybody can be anybody. All right, I think that's going to just about do it for us today. So thank you all so much for listening. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback about the show, Feel free to reach out to us either on Twitter at Kings Weekly Pod or via email, kingsweeklypodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody.